Well, this series, as we've talked about the wonder worker, has been a lot about perspective, because perspective matters. I remember growing up as a child, and my dad would um, tell me and my sister to go out in the yard, and we're going to race around the house, or we're going to have a contest to see who could do something the best, or I would have a friend over, and, and my parents or their friends would make it into a contest. And I remember thinking as a little kid, this was really about me and seeing how fast I was and how strong I was and how great of an athlete I was. But as I've gotten older, I realized there was more to the story when you look at it from a different perspective. Because now as a parent, I do that with my kids. And there's generally two reasons. Sorry, parents, I'm going to kind of blow our cover. But there's generally two reasons. One is to tire them out because they probably have too much energy. And the second is they're being pestery and they're all in our space and we need a little break. And we can tell them to race someone around the house and we get a little bit of space. It's interesting how perspective changes the situation. It changes the circumstances. And in John chapter 5, Jesus, the wonder worker, we're, we're looking at stories from different perspectives of the miracles that Jesus performed. So in John chapter 5, it says, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there was in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool where the water is stirred. While I'm going to try to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. And so here in this story, they're in Jerusalem, and there is this location, this pool that people normally go to who are hurting and who are disabled, who are lame, who are crippled. And I'm guessing by the way that John is telling the story, it's very known, and people understand where this place is, and they can relate to it. And there's a verse that's missing here in our Bibles. Verse 4, if you'll notice, it goes from 3 to five and verse four is missing and it's simply because it was most likely added after the fact by scribes to help make sense and what verse four says in some manuscripts from time to time an angel of the lord would come down and stir up the waters first the first one into the pool after each such disturbance would be cured of whatever disease he had and so there's this tradition surrounding the pool where people knew that sitting beside it, when the waters were stirred, they could get down into the pool and they could be healed. And like I said, it's most likely missing because 
a scribe went back and added it later for historical context so you could understand what was so important about this pool and why so many people gathered. And But it says, when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition a long time, Jesus saw him. Most of the stories we've looked at up until this point are not Jesus seeing someone's needs. Most of the wonder worker stories we've looked at are people coming to Jesus with their needs, with their hurts. We looked at a blind man who comes to Jesus, a paralyzed man who's brought to Jesus by four friends. We learn of a a dad who comes for his little girl who's dying and is sick. We learn about a lady who comes and grabs the hem of his garment just to be healed. And in all of those stories, someone is seeking out Jesus. But this story takes on a different perspective because Jesus saw the man. They're in Jerusalem. Jesus is going about his business and he sees someone in need. And so from Jesus' perspective, as he's going about his day, there is someone who needs something. There's this man who's been evidently doing this every single day for the last 38 years, or close to it. Where he goes, he's carried there, he crawls, he does something to get to the pool, and he sits at the edge of the pool day after day. And he waits. And he waits for something to happen. He waits for the pool to be stirred. And Jesus sees him, and there is so much power in the story. And maybe one of the greatest miracles in the story is the fact that Jesus actually sees him. Maybe the miracle of the story for you and I, and where we come into play, is not just simply the fact that Jesus heals this man by speaking to him. But maybe the miracle of the story is that Jesus has the eyes to see and is moving at a slow enough pace through life that he actually notices someone who is hurting and in need. And he stops. He stops and addresses this man. And I think his question is so powerful because it has the power to flip our perspective. Because we look at the story from Jesus' perspective, and Jesus takes a story and he turns it so we see from the man's perspective. And he asks him a really powerful question. When he sees him and he learns that he's been in this condition for a long time, he asks, do you want to get well? Day after day. He sits at the pool, day after day, longing to be well, longing for the chance to get down into the pool. And Jesus asked him this really simple question. Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? And here's what the man says. Here's where it flips our perspective. The man says, I have no one. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. 
And then he goes on to say, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And I wonder from the man's perspective what he sees. Because Jesus sees a man who's sitting there, right there, and he believes that this pool has the power to heal him, heal him, and he's not able to get in. And then he asks the man, do you want to get well? And the man says, here's my problem. I have a different perspective than you do. There's always someone else who is to blame. He says, I have no one. Have you ever felt that way? I mean, right now, during isolation, for many of you, for, for many of us, we could say, I have, I have no one. I've talked to lots of you who cannot be here today because of your conditions. And you say, I have no one. I'm on my own. It's me by myself. I have no one. And then when I try to do something, there's no one else there to help me get in the pool. And when I try on my own to get in the pool, someone else jumps in. See, a counselor would look at this story and say, this person has a victim mentality. What is a victim mentality? A victim mentality is this, a person who tends to regard themselves as a victim of the negative actions of others or their environment, and who behaves as if this were the case, even if the lack of clear evidence of such circumstances. It's someone who looks around in spite of their condition, in spite of everything going on and what they've done, and takes no responsibility and always says it's someone else else's fault. Jesus asked him this really simple question, do you want to get well? Because it seems like, looking from my perspective, if you wanted to get well, you would find a way to make this happen. You would find a way into the water if you thought there was that much power in the water. If you thought the water could heal you, you would find a way in. Do you want to get well? Sir, I have no one. And every time I try to do something, someone else gets in. See, Jesus is asking him to look at himself and make some decisions for himself and take some initiative, I think, for himself. And the man says, well, it's everyone else's fault but mine. It's everyone else's fault but mine. I know I need, Jesus says, you need to do something. Do you really want to get well? Do you have faith that that water can heal you? Or do you have faith that I can heal you? Because clearly, clearly after 38 years, something is not working. This pattern is habitual. After 38 years, it's time to do something else. Do you believe that water can heal? Do something to get well. Don't just sit there and make excuses. Get into the water if you believe the water has the power to heal.
because clearly, clearly this is not working. And Jesus says, get up, pick up, and walk. In the Greek, it's these three imperatives, these commands. Get up, pick up, walk. Stop lying there because it is doing no good. Get up, pick up, walk. I know you've been there for 38 years. I know you've been in this condition. I know there's no one to help you. I know that someone always beats you in. Get up, pick up, and walk. See, faith will cause you to take steps that you would not normally take. It it will ask you to do some things that are really difficult to understand because you believe there is power in getting better. Because faith is belief expressed in action. You believe that this water has the power, then figure out a way in. Figure out a way to get into the water if you truly believe the water has power. Get up. Pick up. Walk. And I think Jesus would ask us the same question. Do you want to get well? Do you want your marriage to get well? Then stop laying there hoping it will happen. Get up. Pick up. And walk. Do you want to get out of debt? Then stop sitting there hoping it will happen. Get up, pick up, and walk. Do you want to get past the addiction? Get up, pick up, and walk. Do you want to restore the relationship with your children? Get up, pick up, and walk. Stop laying around and hoping things will change and hoping things will get better, do something about it. To all of this, I would say it is truth. But I would also say that any good counselor or teacher would tell you the exact same thing. And I do not think that is John's main point in telling this story about Jesus. Because at the end of the day, John is not writing to tell you about a good moral teacher or a counselor. He is writing to you and I to show you and I that Jesus Christ is Messiah, the Son of God. And I love um, C.S. Lewis. In Mere Christianity, he writes this, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people so often say about him. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level of a man who says he is a poached egg, or he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this 
man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him, kill him as a demon, or or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. Jesus was not just teaching you how to get well and how to be on your best behavior to be a good Christian. Jesus was teaching you and I what it looked like to live a resurrected life. Life in Christ with the Son of God. And he was trying to make sure his disciples grasped this. And they struggled so much to do so. Because at the end of the day, after they've been around him so much and so long, they come and they ask, Philip asks this question, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? Don't you know me? Even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus was not coming to say, I am a great moral teacher who's helping you get your life back on track. He was coming so that you could die to yourself and be raised into a new life and live in the resurrection power of Jesus. From the start to the finish. And yes, that means you take initiative and you take things into your own hands and you start acting like you believe God has the power to heal you and you start doing things to move in that direction, whether it's in your marriage or your finance. But Jesus was not coming to make your marriage better. He was coming to resurrect it and make it new. He was coming to save and redeem and reconcile. Because from Jesus' perspective, that was what His purpose was from the beginning. And our calling as followers of Jesus is to live out of both perspectives. Both the perspective of Jesus and the perspective of the man. The perspective of Jesus who has the power to see those who are hurting and need and stop and slow down and give help. Maybe the greatest miracle of the story and maybe one of the greatest miracles of our day would be that we stopped and noticed someone who was in need because we weren't consumed with what we were doing and we weren't too busy to be able to see clearly. To notice the people that no one notices. And you can say, well, I'm not the wonder worker. But you know the wonder worker. And you were called to be his hands and feet in this world. Now more than ever. To point people to him and to help people to see clearly Jesus. But then there's the man's perspective that we must live out of as well. That if we do believe and take Jesus at his word, then we understand the power of his words, get up, pick up, and walk. That our faith truly begins to become something we live out and we do on a daily basis 
a faith that, that means something to us other than just we've learned how to be a good person. It's we're learning how to live a resurrected life. And this sign, just like all the other signs that John's going to show us through his letter, had one purpose and one purpose only. To reveal that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, revealing His glory to this world. That was His purpose. And the command, get up, pick up, and walk, is as true for you and I as it was for this man. Is your marriage struggling? And take Jesus at His word. Get up, pick up, and walk. Do something about it. Is debt overtaking you? Is it consuming you? Then do something about it. Get up, pick up, walk. Are your kids and your relationships struggling? Get up, pick up, and walk. Do you need healing? Or have you become apathetic spiritually in your walk with Jesus? Get up, pick up, and walk. Not because we have the power to do something when we do. But because He has the power to heal. And we take Him at His word. And we get up, pick up, and walk.